young mother at home, and uh, I think this is often the times for young mothers and uh, the way it is for them, and uh, she was walking around the corner of the house, uh, inside the house, I think probably going into the hallway or the living room, and there was her little boy, and he had a crayon, and he was coloring on the wall. Any of you ever experienced that? Your kids do things like that? Yeah, yeah, you've seen that. And she immediately asked, why did you do that? And he said, well, it seemed like the right thing to do at the moment. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're that way. When it comes to our lives, we do things because they seem like a good idea. And I think most of the time they work out pretty good. We, we think through it, and we do certain things and certain activities uh, sometimes they don't turn out so well. <laughs> I'll admit there are some things that I have done in my life that I go, wish I hadn't done that. Maybe right in the middle of them, I'm thinking I, I didn't make a wise decision. But we do things because we think through them and we come up with ideas and we usually have the best intentions and we do it for a positive reason and a positive purpose. And so as we start this uh, Christmas season, really we've been into it. I, I understand that the seniors had a great luncheon on Wednesday and the ladies were here yesterday and had a wonderful time from what I hear. Uh, but as we think about it, I want to ask a question because we do things because they seem to be the right thing to do at the moment. Why did Jesus come down? Heaven came down, that's, that's the old song, but why did God come down? Why did Jesus come down? What was the purpose for his coming? And as we share this morning, I want to give you basically three reasons. Uh, there's a lot more than that. Uh, we can't even begin to count the reasons for why Jesus came, and I don't think with our finite minds can begin to understand the infinite and uh, the purpose for why he did all of the things he did. But, uh, you know, when you begin to think about Jesus and why he came, I believe the very best first reason that he came that I want to look at this morning is that uh, he came that we might understand God better. A lot of people like to talk about who God is and, and what God's like, and a lot of times we don't have the best answers. We go by what we think and what we feel and what seems to us to be the best, but it, it, it oftentimes isn't. I, I think of little children. Uh, they like to do things. What do, what do kids say? Our kids say the darndest things. Just a couple of them here. It says, uh, one little, little girl said, uh, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love the whole world. <laughs> There's only four people in my family, and I could never do it. So, uh, you know, maybe we feel that way, and yet the Bible says that God loves us all. And it's, it's getting that big picture of this God that loves you and loves me and cares about us. Uh, another little boy said, uh, Dear God, my grandpa says you're... You were around when he was a little boy. <laughs> How far back do you really go? You know, uh, that idea of eternity and eternity past is, is a concept that we struggle with as we think of, of him. This one, I put my name in here. I thought it was uh, apropos. Uh, little boy said, dear God, is Reverend Cochran a friend of yours or you, do you just know him from work? Uh, some people, I've, I've had children ask me, do you live here? And uh, they see me here all the time and think this must be home. Uh, this one's for Paco. Paco, I put this one down for you. It says, Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses the golf words around the house? Uh, watch those. But for adults, for adults, we have different ideas. Sometimes people will look at God and uh, they view God with the idea, Well, I think 
I thank God this, or I thank God that. And usually when somebody begins to talk about what they feel or what they think, it's a pretty good idea. They probably don't have a real clear example of who God is. Uh, they may have taken a number of religions and put them together and surmised, well, this is what God's like. Kind of like the guy that said, uh, an alien brought us here and someday he's going to come back in his spaceship and take us all away. Uh, they've kind of put some Christianity in there with, with God bringing us and taking us, but they've, they've missed it. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that, but there, are, there is that belief that life came to earth from outer space someplace, another planet. And uh, so they would see maybe God is coming from there. Um, some people just see God as a sweet old guy up in heaven, and he, he wouldn't condemn us for everything. He just, uh, anything. He just accepts us the way we are, and everything's okay. Uh, and God is so much more than that. I, I think back to C.S. Lewis in Chronicles of Narnia in the story, the, the section of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you remember Aslan the lion, and uh, the beavers were asked about him and who he was. <laughs> kind of, is he a tame lion? And then they said, oh, he's not a tame lion. God's not a tame God. We don't put him in a box. We don't control him. Uh, he's, he's so much more than that. Some people say that we're part God. God's everywhere. God is the creation. And so they would see us as that, or others might say we can all become gods. Have you ever heard that one? That's out there. You just are good enough and you work hard enough, someday you'll be a god. And um, there are others who say uh, God came and he created the universe, he brought it into existence, it was all here, and then he just left to let it run. It's kind of... Uh, what the theist says, that he's not really involved anymore. So there's a lot of ideas about who God is and what he's like. Some people just say he doesn't exist. It's just all kind of, and it's here. And yet it's so much more than that. Um, some people, and, and this is one that's not uncommon. They would not say this, but they see God as God in a bottle. They see God as a genie. And when they pray, and God doesn't answer their prayers the right way, they feel that that prayer was like rubbing the bottle, and, and they come away and say, well, God doesn't hear my prayers. God doesn't answer my prayers, because they, they want to put him in this little box and say, this is how he's going to re respond. And the truth is, we, uh, we need to know about who God really is. If, if we're going to honor him, if we're going to praise him and worship him, and, and we don't just need somebody's opinion. We don't need the idea that he's at our beck and call. You know, in America, they polled the, uh, the American people, and they say most of the people, I think it was about 80% believe there's a God. High percentage believe in God. And yet, unfortunately, uh, a lot of them don't really understand who he is. And so what God did because he loves us and he cares about us, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, he made himself known to us. He said, I want you to understand, certainly we see uh, who he's like in the creation, and we talked about that, but God did more than that. He came down. He came down in the form of a child, of a baby. Uh, he came down as the second person of the, of the Godhead, and Jesus himself, being God, came and dwelt among us, and we're going to look at that. But in 
in John, the 18th chapter, in the 37th verse, it, it makes this statement. And Pilate was talking to Jesus, and Pilate said to him, So you're a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is truth hears my voice. And so when Jesus came, he came to give us the truth, and the Bible says the truth sets us free, but I really believe the truth about God, when we get it, when we understand it, sets us free. Take your Bibles and turn back to John chapter 1. It's a passage that's very well known I'm not going to spend a long time on it this morning, but I, I believe it really sets the tone in terms of who Jesus is when we begin to look at it. It's John 1 through 3, and then we're going to look at verse 14 and then 18. But it says in the first verse, in the beginning, that means before anything was. You know, in the beginning was the Word. And this Word, as we're going to see, represents Jesus. It is a... Uh, the communication of God to humanity, it's his thought. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Well, that makes sense. That's not a problem. And then it goes on, and it says, the Word was God. So this Word wasn't just with God. He was also God. And it says, he was in the beginning with God. And then all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. You know, in, in, the, um, in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And yet here it's saying this word did it. And this word was God, and this is Jesus. And so we begin to understand that Jesus himself was God. And then it goes down to the 14th verse, and it says the word that word we were talking about in the first three verses now became flesh. And he dwelled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we understand that then Jesus became human. He took on the form of humanity, and he dwelled among us. And so when you think of that little baby in the manger, uh, and, and we think it's so, he's so cute and so adorable and you know, we think, well, he wouldn't have cried, and he probably never had any other problems, and uh, yet I bet he was just like a baby. I bet he cried at times. He woke up. He got mom and dad up. Hey, Joseph, <laughs> gee, Mary, I, I need something. And he may not have said it, but he said it with his voice. But here was his word, and he became flesh, and he dwelled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. And then it goes over to verse 18. And it says, no one's seen God. No one's seen God at any time. We do not have a visual understanding of who God is because he has not made himself known to us visibly, not the Father at least. No one's seen God, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he explained him. So do you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Just take some time to study Jesus. Uh, go through the Gospels and just mark down everything you see about Jesus because he was God and he came in the flesh and you learn about him from 
just looking at his life and studying it. We learn about God from his creation. We learn what he's like. The Bible says that's that general revelation we were talking about the last couple of Sundays. But, you know, I, I look at God and I, I look at the creation. I begin to get an understanding of what he's like. He certainly likes variety, doesn't he? All you have to do is look around this room and realize there's a little variety here. We're all a little different. Our personalities are different. Our ages are different. Our genders are different. Everything's a little different. But, boy, the difference of, uh, in humans is nothing compared to the rest of the animal world. Is it? You know, you think of a giraffe. A giraffe is so much different than a, an eye-eye. How many of you know what an eye-eye is? Anybody know what that is? Yeah, if you have a little, little thing from Madagascar. I think it's probably a marsupial. Well, no, it's not. But it's got these great big eyes and just a little fella. I, I was looking at it on uh, the web the other day. And, and if you don't know what an eye-eye is, you need to, to look it up. God is a God of order. He's a God of organization. And we talked about uh, the creation. We talked about the the way the earth revolves around the sun. We talked about some of the things that happen in the solar system. You, we talked about the tides and how they're ordered. And, and we know exactly when we have a high tide and when we have a low tide and a minus tide. Think God has a sense of humor? We're made in the image of God. Do you realize that? Do we have a sense of humor? Well, I hope most of us do. But uh, we like to laugh. We like to smile. Uh, I was talking uh, the other day with one of the men here in the church, and he was talking about pictures that came. And every picture, Jesus had a smile on his face. I, I bet he and the disciples got together, and they probably laughed about so many things. We don't have that in the Bible, but if, if, uh, if we know a little bit about humanity and Jesus was human, certainly he... He smiled. I think of the animals. Uh, my dog starts running around and just all over the house and turn into circles and we just sit and laugh. Because God created things that are humorous. He loves beauty. You know, when we, we look at the majestic mountains and we look at the ocean and you look at the sunrise and the sunset, you realize that God created those things and they're beautiful. We can't even begin to duplicate them. We paint pictures and we take photographs, but they're not the same. He is a God who is all-powerful. I think back to when the disciples were out in the boat and the storm came up and he was sleeping and they woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? And he said, oh, you have little faith. And he got up and he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the waves and they all went flat. God of power, he controls the weather, and he is so creative. But other things we know about God, we, we learn about from the Bible. If you go back to John 3.16, and I'm not going to turn there right now, but in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, that whosoever is, it, it, it is all-inclusive. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you, when you think of that, I say it so often, when you come back to that verse, it says, God so loved, and you can put your name right there. God so loved Andy. God so loved Daniel. God so loved, well, David's right back there. 
God so loved each and every one of us. We begin to get that idea that, that we have a God who's a loving God. And we also have a God who's a forgiving God. Because as you study the life of Jesus, time and time again, he would forgive people for their sins. He, he would say, for instance, when, when the man was dropped down through the roof to him, he was a paralytic, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And immediately the leaders of the, the nation of Israel sitting in there, the religious leaders said, how can he forgive sins? Only God can do that. They understood that. And so our God is a forgiving God, and I am so thankful for that. And when Jesus went to the cross, he... He did that great act of forgiveness because he gave his life for us. In Luke, the second chapter, in the 32nd verse, and you know, as I'm turning there, I, I want you to realize also God is not a detached God. That means that God is involved. The fact that Jesus came down to earth demonstrates the fact that God didn't just disappear someplace and let the world run itself may seem like that sometimes when we look at the world in which we live, but God gave himself. He went to the cross. He died for us, and it shows his mercy because we could not save ourselves. In Luke chapter 2, verse 32, it says, uh, well, I want to go back up to verse 29. It says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. You are a light to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. He's a light to the Gentiles. You know you can't see without light, can you? Uh, light helps us in the dark, and without light, we don't get around very well. When the, the lights are off in the house and there's nothing there that I can see, it's not uncommon for me to run into a table or a chair, or whatever. It's usually because somebody moved them, of course, but we have to be able to see. Back in John chapter 14, uh, John does a good job of showing us Jesus, and when we look at Jesus, we get to see who God is, and that's, that's one of the keys, is that we want to know what God's like, and, and in order to do that, we need to go back and look at Jesus but in John 14, beginning in the sixth verse, you remember the passage where Jesus had told them he was going to prepare a place for them. If he goes and prepare a place, he'll come again and receive them unto himself. And Thomas always was asking the, the question in verse 5. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus in verse 6 said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father, but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. There it is. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. You would have known what God's like. For now, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's not enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Why did Jesus come? One of the reasons was to show us the Father. It's to help us to know who God is. People say, who's God? Well, Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was merciful. 
Jesus was loving. Jesus was relational. Uh, he loved his disciples. He loved those who were with him. He loved a man by the name of Lazarus who died and brought him back to life. Jesus was powerful. He, he could deal with the wind and the waves. He could deal with death. He could bring people back to life. He could heal. Uh, we begin to get a picture of God there when we look at it. And so it's important for us not to put God into a box and trying to make him into something that we want him to be. We also have to realize that sometimes he didn't heal. And we need to realize that he wasn't always just an ES man and closed his eyes to everything that went on. When there was sin taking place in the temple, they were exchanging money, uh, using the temple as a place to get rich for themselves and, and not really focusing on God. He drove them out. And I, and I thought about Jesus. We don't think of him very much in that way, but he made a whip. And I would imagine there were quite a few people in there that were selling and exchanging money and doing all of the things that were abusive to the worship of God, and he drove them from that temple. No wimp was our Jesus. So he shows us God. The second thing we see is that Jesus demonstrates to us how much God loves us. Already quoted that verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That which was most precious to the Father came to earth. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. It's really what that passage says. It's, it's, it's a responsibility of us to come by faith, but God makes it possible. And so Christmas is well, it's about Jesus. You think about that at Christmas? It's about Jesus. It's Christ's mass. It's, it's not about, we do all these things, but it's, it's not about the shopping. It's not about, we don't have it here, but it's not about snow. It's not about winter weather. It's not about getting together with family. It's not about having this huge dinner, whatever you have, whether it's turkey or prime rib or a hamburger or a bologna sandwich. It doesn't matter what it is, but that's not what it's about. It's not about getting up on Christmas morning and opening the presents, although those are special. I'm not opposed to any of those. I, I like all that stuff. I, I, I like the decorations. I like the way the church looks when Christmas comes. But it's not about that. It's not even about Hallmark Christmas movies. Some people may think that's where it is, but it, 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 it's about this Jesus. It's about one who came to be our Savior. I think that says it on one of the, the banners back there. It says he's our Savior. And that's, uh, that's really what Christmas is about. Uh, you know, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, but in reality, in many ways, you and I are. We're the reason for the season. Because if we didn't need a Savior, he wouldn't have come. And so we need to understand that that we're that important to God. We are that reason for the season. And, and God didn't just send a, a messenger boy to tell us of our needs. How many of you watched the movie A Wonderful Life? All right. It, it's been around for a long time. Jimmy Stewart's there, and, and uh, he plays the, the part of even George Bailey. And uh, 
plays a part of George Bailey, and George Bailey's depressed, and he wants to kill himself, commit suicide, and God sends an angel by the name of Clarence to tell him that he really doesn't need to do that, that he's special, and he shows George Bailey how special he is to all of the other people, and George's life changed. But when God came to us, he didn't send an angel for us. He sent an angel to Mary and Joseph to announce the coming of Jesus but who God sent because of his love for us was his son. We need to understand that. The real truth about Christmas comes in the form of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And it's not about... what we do for people so much. I want you to think about it. When we think of God sending his son, it really paints a picture of who God is. But when you get a Christmas present, or you give a Christmas present, what's really important about that present? For some people, it's little children, of course. It's the present. Whew, this is good. In fact, they're young enough, you don't have to buy them anything. You just get them paper to play with. Um, that's it. You give them the package and the paper, they never get to the present. But um, as I've gotten older, it's not so much the present as the one who presents it to me. A mother can have a piece of paper that some child has scribbled on and they put it on the, uh, the refrigerator as a prize. Because their child did that. And it isn't so much the paper and the scribbling, but it's, it's the one who did it. And you see, as we get older, it's, it's the presenter. It's, it's the one who's present. We want to be there when we give that present, if it's really, really special. And when God came, he, he came as a presenter. He made himself available to us. And uh, he gave his attention to us. I, heard the story of a young man. He had his girlfriend. He loved his girlfriend. Oh, she was so good. And, you know, he, he, he seemed to say this all the time. He said, oh, you know, baby, I'd, I'd die for you. That's how important you are. I'd die for you. And she responded to him to, one day. And she said, you always say that, but you never do. Um, it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to do it. It's another thing to do what we say, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He came, he loved us, he showed us that he loved us. He demonstrated that with his life. First John, in the um, fourth chapter, First John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It says, by this the love of God has manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God. It's not our love for him, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. God demonstrated his love for us. I think there's a lot of misconception about love. Uh, We get the idea that love's all about Feelings and emotions, so certainly that's what we're told today. It's, it's kind of the idea that for a guy or a gal, that, that special person comes in there, pity pat, pity pat, pity pat, you know, get all excited. They walked into the room, oh, so great. 
But I'll tell you something, it doesn't always work that way. In fact, I have an idea. Sometimes I walk into the room and my wife's looking and instead of going pity pat, pity pat, pity pat, it kind of goes thud. I hope not too often, babe, and once in a while I get the pity pat. But it isn't uh, the feeling all the time, but it's what love demonstrates. It's, it goes beyond that um, to... to Sure, love isn't always based on our emotion. It's kind of like a mom at 3 in the morning when that little baby wakes up and she's already been up or 1 or 2 and she's crying and she's hungry and she wants changed and mom goes in there. And I don't think there's a lot of pity pat, pity pat, pity pat at that point. There's a lot of thud. But she still loves that baby. The emotion may not be flowing. But she loves him. And what God did, and, and, and the love is demonstrated by her action and by her coming and by her being there. And true love says, I care about you. And that's what God said when Jesus came. He said, I care about you. You're important to me. And he showed how much he cared by how much he loved us in sacrificing himself, Jesus, on the cross. In John 15 John, the 15th chapter. In the 13th verse, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. It doesn't talk about any emotion or any feeling. It's just that he is that committed that he's willing to give himself. We go back to 1 John and, and the 3rd chapter and the 16th verse, 1 John 3.16 We know love by this that he laid down his life for us. And then he goes on and says we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. No greater love than to give your life. No greater action can be had than someone who sacrifices themselves for the other person. I remember when Juliet was a little girl she would come in and she would say either to me or Darlene, she would say, Grandpa, I love you. And I'd say, Juliet, I love you too. And she'd say, Grandpa, I love you more. I said, no, I love you more. She said, I love you most. No, I love you most. Grandpa, I love you this much. Of course, I'd stretch out my hands and mine were further out than hers. And I'd say, well, I love you more than you do because mine are out here. That's what Jesus did. He says, I love you, and I love you this much. And the difference between him and me is that there were nails driven into his hands, and he gave his life. And he says, I love you this much. He stretched out his arms. I love you this much. In the book of Ephesians, in the third chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, In the 14th to the 19th verses. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Paul says, from whom all, every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
Boy, that's where it starts, folks. That's where we go through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, you think of that breadth and, and you realize it has to do with, with the width, the breadth of his love. The breadth of his love unending no beginning no end now with you and i our love starts somewhere we meet that person we love and it starts there and and sadly today sometimes it ends too but the breath of god's love is that it began no beginning and it has no ending it's eternal when we when we think of the the length of that love that he has and it talks about the width of the breadth and it's it's wide enough to take in everybody. You know, I, I think sometimes people look at their lives, and especially at Christmas, things have gone on in their lives and they think I'm unlovable and nobody loves me and nobody cares about me. And I talk to people sometimes during the holiday seasons and that's where they are. The people they loved before aren't there anymore or... Those who they love are a long distance away and nobody's there for them and they just feel kind of lost. And yet with God, that's not the case. He's always there. I, uh, I remember being lonely. Probably one of the lonelier times was when I was in the service. I was a chaplain's assistant and... People in the ministry, including the chapel and chaplain's assistant, don't go home at Christmas. And almost everybody on the base where I was, White Sands Missile Range, was gone. And I remember, I, I don't remember much of anything else about that Christmas, but I remember one day walking up the steps into the barracks where I lived, and nobody was there, and I was walking up, and I thought, man, I wish I was home. I wish I was with my family. And I was going to go home in January. The chaplain had told me that I could have leave time in January, but I just started singing that old song, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Because, you see, my family was a long ways away. But what we fail to realize is that even if everybody else is gone and nobody else is there, God is. And Jesus was there. And I wasn't alone. And... We need to understand the, the, the breadth, the width of his love. It doesn't matter where we are, he's there. And then the depth, uh, no matter what you've sunk into, what you've done, the sin that you've had, when we come and we respond to God and we repent and we confess our sin, God reaches down into the very depths of where we are and picks us up. Wow. Oftentimes we have to get down there before we turn to God. I, I oftentimes think of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was known as kind of the hitman for Nixon. In Watergate scandal, Chuck Colson was a tough guy, and he didn't believe in God. He wasn't a Christian, and they sent him to jail, and he read through the Bible. Colson said he read through it three times before he got it, but when he got it, he really got it, and he became one of the great spokesmen for God, but God had to reach down to where he had fallen and pick him up 
Until that time, I don't think Colson would have had any desire to know God. But when he did come to know him, it changed him completely. The height, man, God's love. <laughs> he overlooks my sin. He lifts me up. Someday he's going to take me to heaven. And, uh, you know, we, we look at this, and it ought to encourage us in terms of God's love. God came so that we could understand, or Jesus came so that we could understand God. He also came to display God's love to us, so that we would know how much God loves us. People fail us, they mess up, they falter, but God doesn't. There's a third reason that I want to share this morning just quickly. Well, I don't want to do it too quickly. It's to make possible for us to have a relationship with God. It doesn't go any good to just know about him if you don't know him, if you don't have that relationship with him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. That means that we weren't sons at one time, but we became sons. We were adopted into the family of God according to the kind intention of his will. You know, the reason uh, you and I are alive today is simply because of God's mercy. <laughs> it's no accident we're here. It's not a fluke of nature. In fact, if God had looked down at us and, and justice was there, he would have looked at our sins and snuffed us out just like that because we weren't worthy to be loved. But grant, God granted you love and to bring you into his forever family. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. I love Romans 5. There's so much there. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 5, 8, of course, it says, But God demonstrates his love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But down in verse 11, it says, And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It simply has the idea that God made us to be his friends. He, he made you to love you and to bring you into his family. And right now, let me tell you, you're important to God. You may not feel like you're important to anybody else this morning, but you're important to God. He cares about you. He loves you. I, uh, I've heard people talk about how religious they are, that they've gone to church all their lives, that they've, oh, I've been a Christian all my life. And, and they're sure of that. And, you know, I'd probably look at them and say, no, you haven't. Nobody's been a Christian all their lives. David said he was born into sin. That was because his mother had a sinful nature. It wasn't because it was a sinful act. But we all come into this world as sinners, and we have to make a choice. We have to decide what we're going to deal with God. You have to make a choice to step into the relationship with God. You have to decide that. It's called an act of faith. It doesn't just happen. We're all responsible for that. Uh, it's, it's a decision you make at some time in your life. Kind of like Darlene. I, uh, this is not a negative, dear... I, I met Darlene, oh, a number of years ago. I won't go into how many. But I met her, and after we were dating for a while, I told her I loved her. I cared about her. But you know, that relationship wasn't permanent. It wasn't real until I finally said, I do. And that's when it was 
cemented, the relationship was there, the commitment was there. I said, I do, and I still do. Yeah, I still do. So I'm going to ask you something today because it's kind of the same thing with God. Have you said I do to God? Have you cemented the relationship? Have you established it in your faith? I do, Father. You know, I, I, it's kind of this idea that I, I want to know you, Jesus. And yes, I want to be part of your forever family. And yes, I know I've sinned and I know I need forgiveness and I know I'm not worthy and I... And, and I want to love you, and I trust you for my salvation. And we come by faith, and God responds and takes us into that relationship with him. But it happens at that point. There's a, there's a point where we step over the line. It's like two, two little boys, and they say, well, you can be on this team if you step over the line. Well, if you stay on this line and say, I want to be on the team, I want to be on the team, you're still not there until you step over the line, are you? It's the same way with our salvation until we come to the point of, of committing our lives to Jesus Christ. How do I begin that relationship? Well, Galatians in the uh, third chapter, in the sixth verse, it gives us a picture of what needs to happen. Galatians chapter 3, 6, it says, uh, 3.26, I knew that that didn't look like it because I was talking about Abraham. Uh, 3.26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't happen until that faith is established. Christmas is, is to be a happy time, but you know, for a lot of people, it isn't. Back in the book of Psalms, I, I've been reading through the Psalms, and I like this verse. It, it, it's kind of a sad verse, but... It shows us where a lot of people are. In verse chapter 34, verse 18, it says, uh, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to those that are hurting. The Lord is near to those who are depressed. The Lord is near to those who are struggling with how they view themselves. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He simply says, I love you. God says that today, and he says, I want to adopt you into my ever family. And that's, that's why we have Christmas. That's why Jesus came. Jesus made the statement in one other passage. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. But when he finds us, we have to respond in faith. And I would tell you today, if you have never, you know that God came you know that Jesus came you know that he was here to show us who God is you know that Jesus came to display his love for us you also probably know that Jesus Christ didn't just remain in that manger but he grew to be a man and ultimately went to the cross and gave his life for us God did that for us and you can know all of those facts but until you have said, I do, until you accept him by faith, until you accept his forgiveness, salvation isn't real. We don't have the relationship. And, and until we 
by faith receive his grace. It says, for by grace you're saved through faith. Now, it's God's grace that saves us, but it's his faith that makes it available to us. We don't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to do that. But his faith opens the door that that grace might become a reality in our lives. And if you're here today and you've never by faith received Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how long you think you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you've been on a church board. It doesn't matter whether we're staff. It doesn't matter whether we grew up in a Christian home or not. It doesn't matter what churches we've gone to. If we have never by faith received Jesus Christ, we don't have that relationship. And it may be one of the first times you've ever heard the message And you still need the relationship. And as I think of this Christmas season, that's what it's about. That's where we are. Because Jesus came. It isn't all about the packages. It isn't all about the family getting together. It isn't all about the Christmas tree and the ornaments and all the beautiful things that we have at Christmas. It isn't the hubbub and the hustle of getting on Amazon and finding our Christmas presents It's about Jesus, and he came to show us God, and he came to demonstrate the fact that he's love, and he came to be our Savior. And if you've never received Jesus Christ, you've never made that commitment to him, and you know you need to do that, I would would encourage you to do that this Christmas. It's the greatest gift you could ever have. In fact, I'm going to bow my head right now, and I'm going to pray a prayer, and you in silence can pray you know the bible doesn't give us a prayer for salvation but it does give us a pattern that we need to follow and one is that we admit our need i'm a sinner that i'm lost that i don't have that relationship another is to know that jesus christ died for us and he paid the penalty for our sins when we couldn't And then by faith to receive that salvation, asking forgiveness for our sins and receiving him into our heart and life. So I'm just going to pray a prayer. And you don't have to pray it out loud. In fact, I would encourage you not to. And then I'm going to ask you something afterwards. If you would come to me and let me know you prayed that prayer. I want to sit down and I'll just go through a little book or something with you and talk about what salvation is all about. And... uh, answer questions you have or encourage in, in any way I can. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads, shall we? I'm going to pray this prayer, and if this is going to be your prayer, just pray it in your heart today. God hears. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that Jesus Christ came as a baby and that he grew up Thank you that he went to the cross and he died and then was buried and rose again, paying the penalty for my sin. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me of my sin today. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Father for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that now I'm your child. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Let me just say,